Dr. Paul Flores. Give him a great greeting this morning as he comes with a word. Thank you, Ray. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Amen. Let's pray, Lord. I thank you today for your presence, God. Thank you. I thank you for every person who somehow made it here today, Lord, and uh, we're grateful, grateful, God, that you are God, I'm but a human being, Lord, and you provide us opportunity to worship you, Lord, to present ourselves to you, to gather together. Lord, churches all over the states and the world gather on the first day of the week, Thank you for that privilege, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the, the purpose, Lord, of why we come together to love you, to worship you, Lord, to express our gratitude, to bless your name, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you're standing, we're going to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 7. And I'd like to invite you to a reading of God's Word. It's great to have you here today. I'm glad you're healthy enough to make it. I've been getting phone calls all week, so-and-so in hospital, so-and-so sick. I even got a call from Kaiser saying, don't come in because there's no room. I don't get Kaiser people. I got texts and called and emailed. If you're feeling the flu, don't come in because there's no space. <clears throat> and I said, oh, got you know, got to stay home. But uh, man, they said whatever that virus or flu thing or strain, uh, we got to keep a lot of our people in prayer. And if you're elderly, make sure you go to the hospital. Um, amen. Yeah, whether you have to wait or not, we praying for some family members who've been waiting in the emergency uh, for a room. Almost took like four or five days, just because there was just so many. Uh, people in need and uh but you're here today i love my kaiser uh man but i love my church and i'd much rather be in my church with my kaiser card in my pocket amen so okay something happens to me just pull it right out of here second chronicles chapter 7 verse 11 reads this is english standard version thus solomon finished the house of the lord and the king's house and all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in, the, in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are thankful and mindful for the word of the Lord, a word written 
many years ago, but a word that is so timely for us in this new season. A word that has stood the test of things that have come and things that have gone. A word that is apropos in season and through the various transitions of seasons. The word of the Lord. Lord, as we proclaim your word, help us to hear your word because we're human beings. And help us to speak your words, Lord, because we're human beings. We pray, God, Lord, that your word would be magnified. We would hear your word and the church would hear what the Spirit says to the church today, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this privilege you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, Happy New Year, and welcome to the first Sunday of 2018. No, in reality, a new year is really just another day. It's just another Sunday, a new Sunday, a new month, a new year. That's another month. We turn the calendars, or sometimes we have to change the calendars. We have to get used to writing a new, a new number. Uh, I don't know if you've already made that mistake, but I put seven down a couple times last week and I had to put my initials to change, change the thing. So really, it's just kind of a, it's, it's the next day, in a sense. However, however, New Year's can present an opportunity for us to refresh renew, refocus, or perhaps even restart, restart some uh, positive and particular behaviors that are honorable uh, to the Lord. Billy Graham wrote that as we flick the pages of the calendar to a new year, we come face to face with the fact that our days on earth are numbered. And if you had a Billy Graham moment this week, I did when I, oh man, 2018, yikes. We come face to face that our days are numbered. As the psalmist wrote, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. He says no thoughtful person can approach New Year's Day without some kind of introspection, some kind of thinking about what's going on with life. We are reminded that time is fleeting and there is brevity and shortness of time. We should take time then if, this, if life is short, we should take time, he writes, to be pleasant, to be kind, to enjoy one another, to love better, to show, extend kindness, to extend mercy, uh, because sometimes we forget that, even in our own family. The secret, he writes, of a happy home is that members of the family learn to give and receive love. I'm thankful that we have a happy home today. We have a happy home here at Church of the Redeemer, where we've learned to receive and to give love. So perhaps you can be like me when someone says, well, what's your goals for this year? Uh, I always got to kind of get paralyzed. I just want to follow the Lord because I don't know what the results are going to be, right? So it's okay to have goals, but ultimately, really, I'm just going to follow the Lord. Uh, and we'll have to see what happens, right? So as we start the new year, I think it's, it's mindful for us to remember uh, the privilege we have to pray. Prayer is both a privilege and both a purpose. Charles Spurgeon wrote that it is interesting to remark how large portions of the sacred writing is occupied with the subject of prayer, either in furnishing examples, enforcing precepts, or pronouncing promises. He says, we scarcely open the Bible before we read, then man begin to call in the name of the Lord, or then we begin to pray. Prayer, he writes, is both a responsibility and a privilege. Matthew writes that Jesus didn't say if you pray, but he says when you pray. It's an expectation, not if, it's when you pray. 
There's no higher privilege, Charles Spurgeon writes, than to enter into the presence of the Lord. Prayer, he writes, is the lispering of the believing infant. It's the shout of the fighting believer. It's the requiem of the dying saint falling asleep in Jesus. It is the breath, the watchword, the comfort, the strength, the honor of the Christian. Prayer is the badge of the Christian. He declared that whenever God does a great work, he first sets God's people to pray. Prayer is a non-negotiable spiritual discipline. The Assemblies of God writes that the outworking of God's purposes in our lives, in our churches, and in our world is absolutely dependent on prayer. In the Christian calendar or the liturgical calendar, the first Sunday after New Year's Day is known as the Epiphany of the Lord. So it's after the 12 days of Christmas, which kind of roll into January 5th or so, until the beginning of the Lent time when we prepare for Easter, it's the season uh, on the liturgical calendar of Epiphany. Epiphany is a time for celebrating the worldwide influence of the Christian faith. Aren't you glad that the Christian faith is still influential around the world? Epiphany is the biblical basis from where the three wise men that traveled from a distant land to honor the newborn child. It's a time to reveal Jesus to the world, an epiphany. So as we start a new year, as we start a new church year, as we start a new Christian year, it can be a time for us to to stop, to think, to refresh, to renew, and to perhaps restart our love and service for the Lord. In your bulletin, I have an insert about the week of prayer And you could use that as a kind of an outline or guideline for today because that theme of week of prayer is based in the context of what we're speaking about in 2 Chronicles. The book of 2 Chronicles continues the story of Israel. There's some thought of who the author is. Is it Ezra? Some most people think it's Ezra. But what we do know is that the writer brings together Samuel, kings, judges, Ruth and the Pentateuch for the, from the first five books of the Old Testament to restate the story in Chronicles. Eugene Peterson says that here in Chronicles is another telling of the same story a hundred or so years later by another voice and from another perspective. But that's what the Christian life is. It's the same story but from another voice and from another perspective. God so loved the world. How many different ways can you say that? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. Second Chronicles. It's really about the glory days of Israel. It became because it was important for the, 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 the story to be chronicled because this generation, the, what they called the, ne- the next generation, had yet to experience the presence of the Lord. That's why we need to tell our stories Because there's no guarantee that the next generation has experienced the presence of the Lord. That's why you need to share how the Lord came into your life and chronicle how you got where you're at today. Because there's no guarantee that the next generation has had that same experience or same presence of the Lord. Back in that day, Jerusalem and the temple had been destroyed. No temple, no walls. So it was an attempt to look at what really matters in life. When you have no temple, when you have no walls, when you have nothing, what is the thing that really matters most in life? 
What is the good news when you have nothing? One writer writes that Chronicles is kind of the, it's the narrative backbone for the Christian about worship. It chronicles worship in tough times. Worship when you're rebuilding. Worship when you have nothing. It's worship when the presence of God shows up. In chapter 1, Solomon asks and he prays for wisdom. In chapter 2 of 2 Chronicles, Solomon prepares to build the temple. In Solomon chapter 3, Solomon builds the temple. In chapter 4, Solomon furnishes the temple. In chapter 5, Solomon honors the Lord by honoring his father David. He brings the things of his father David into the temple to dedicate the temple. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of what our forefathers have done and honor them by bringing their things into our life as we worship the Lord. Then we get to Solomon, I'm sorry, chapter 6 of 2 Chronicles, and Solomon blesses the people. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. Then Solomon says, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. In thick darkness he would dwell. But I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell forever. Then the king turned around and he blessed all the assembly while all the assembly of Israel stood. Solomon chronicles how we have this temple, but we need to bless the people. Solomon dedicates the people in chapter and dedicates the temple in chapter 6. He writes, verse 40, Now, O oh my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. God has a people. God calls them my people. That's 2 Chronicles chapter 7. My people. God has a plan for my people. God has a plan for you and me. Even when the darkness is thick, God has a plan for his people. Perhaps we need to consider what it means to be God's people. If my people... Perhaps we need to consider that God has a people, and when he says my people, it includes you, and it includes me. I'm not sure how that makes you feel when someone says my people. It kind of makes me feel kind of good when someone says my people. It's like I belong. It's like I matter. It's like I have value. Somebody calls me theirs, my people. I like saying my stuff. I know it sounds egotistical and possessive, but I like saying my wife. You like saying that? I like saying my daughter, my son. I like saying my church. I like saying my mama. My, that's my mama, my dad. No matter what, that is still mine. It signifies value. It signifies worth. It signifies ownership. It signifies investment. If we belong to God, we are his people. We are included in my people. So what do my people, according to God, experience? Well, first of all, we get to experience presence. We get to experience his presence Slide over to Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse one, and it reads chapter one of, of chap, I'm sorry, verse one of chapter seven. As Solomon has as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, 
fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. Psalm is praying. He's praying. And as soon as, as he finished his prayer, the presence came down. I don't know about you, but today I just felt, I don't know what it was, but I felt the presence of the Lord. When I see the Lord seated on the throne, I was mindful that that, that song comes from the, from, the, from the writer who says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on his throne. It doesn't get any worse than someone dying. And then to see, however, when I see the Lord seated on the throne. It says, then fire came. Presence is the fire. Let's, let's, look, let's dig in a little bit at this. The fire came down from heaven. It's, it's kind of a, a replication of what Moses experienced in the book of Leviticus when he put the offering down and the fire came and consumed the offering. The fire came down from heaven and consumed the offering. Every act of worship, one writer writes, is accompanied by a sacrifice. The fire was considered that God had accepted the sacrifice. Fire didn't mean that God answered the prayer. Fire meant that God accepted the sacrifice. When God manifests as a consuming fire to sinners, God's people can rejoice because his mercies, we are not consumed. The fire consumes our sacrifice, but because his mercies, we are not consumed. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that God continues to burn up my sacrifices, my mistakes. He continues to burn up my failures. He continues to burn up my disappointments, my letdown. He burns them up saying, I hear your prayer. He shows it by burning them up. I accept that. But it's because of his mercies that we are not consumed. Presence is the fire. But we also see that then there was fire and then there was glory. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The fire consumed the sacrifice, but the glory filled the temple. And according to what we just read, and they all saw it. So we not only feel his presence, but the people see the presence. First, chapter 7, verse 2 says, And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord filled the temple. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down, and the glory of the Lord on the temple... They bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. The cloud first came down on top of the temple according to what they saw. And then, and then it entered into the house. And we see that both the priests recognized that they could not go in because of the glory. And the regular folks like me and you, we could see that the glory was on top of the house. They said the same words in which the priest had just praised them. A song that one writer says suggests that this song is never out of season. This song is never sung out of tune. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. 
Can you say that with me? Ready? For the Lord is good and his mercies endureth forever. Some versions say that in a steadfast love endures forever. Reminds me of that song, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Presence. Presence. But my people also get to experience praise. Verse 4 says, Then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. So after the fire already consumed Solomon's sacrifice, all the people said, I need to get some stuff burned up in my life. They brought their sacrifice. It's as if God was saying, my people offer a sacrifice of praise. A praise of sacrifice. When we praise the Lord, we bring a sacrifice. We bring our junk. We bring our stuff. We bring our messed up ways. We bring it as a praise of, here I am, Lord, burn it up. Right? Praise is bringing something to God. Some suggest that this offering, you'll read later, that it was a peace offering, making peace with God. It was burnt offerings, meat offerings, fat offerings, thin offerings, all the offerings. Just burn it up as they dedicated the house with an offering, a praise of sacrifice. A praise is also a praise of thanksgiving. Verse 6 says that the priest stood at their post, the Levites also, and the instruments for praise to the Lord that King David had made for giving thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love or his mercies endure forever. Whenever David offered praises by their ministry, opposite them the priests sounded the trumpets and all Israel stood. I, 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 I don't know if we see the significance of this, but kind of remind me of, of, of Christmas, our Christmas band when, when it, basically they went and got Grandpa's trumpet out. Let's go get these, these, these instruments were dedicated by fathers who are long go, go, gone. And they brought them to say, this is what these instruments were designed to do. They were designed and prepared by my father David and your grandpa were designed for us to praise the name of the Lord. For his mercy endures forever. See, it's the instruments of the previous generation that are brought back to the new generation to help them give thanks. I am so thankful that my grandpa was a musician. I am so thankful that my mama was a musician. And they handed down me their instruments. And I, in turn, hand them down to my kids. And hopefully further on, right, as we all praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise, presence, praise, and lastly for today, I want to focus a little bit on prayer. Verse 12 says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. I find it interesting that the Lord appeared at night. Why doesn't the Lord ever appear in the daytime? It seems to me in my life, the Lord always appears at night. Perhaps night is symbolic that there's no one's around, no one's looking, there ain't no help, there's no light. It's just you, baby. And God shows up when it's just you and nothing else. At least that's my story. But the Lord says the Lord appeared at night. 
I think the other thing I find interesting is the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. He doesn't say, I answered your prayer. He says, I heard your prayer. The Lord appears at night, and the Lord heard his prayer. And then it says that I have chosen for, to make this place for myself a house of sacrifice. This is the only place in the Bible where this, this phrase is heard, a house of sacrifice. We've heard of a house of worship. We've probably heard of a house of, of thanksgiving, a house of praise, a house of prayer. Here it's a house of sacrifice. The title shows up when we pray and when we sacrifice. Perhaps it means that when we give up of ourselves, God chooses to appear in the sacrifice. God is near when we pray. God might not answer, but God will appear. God might not appear in the daytime of your life, but God will appear. When we find ourselves in a dark time, when it seems like all the light is gone out, when it seems that God is not aware, God says, I have heard your prayer. This somewhat reminds me of when God says, I hear your prayer, of my, my understanding of how communication works through social media. You know, I send out a text, I send out emails, and I get no responses sometimes from students, <clears throat> sometimes people in here. And so I thought they're not hearing my prayer. So I sent out another text, or I sent out another email, and I sent out another voicemail, and, and they don't respond. And then I see them, I said, hey, did you get my text? Oh, yeah, I got your text. Perhaps that's what God's doing to me right now. I just haven't answered you. But I got your text. I heard your prayer. But you're not God, so please answer the text and answer the email. I have heard your... There's something comforting in knowing that God has heard your prayer. Right? I, I, I know I'd rather have the answer, I think. But there's something comforting in knowing that God has heard my prayer. God, we come to find out that God hears. Perhaps we have to just find rest in that. Perhaps in this context, sometimes it's more important to be heard than to be answered. Sometimes some of us just want to be heard, right? Sometimes people ask me things. They don't want me to answer the question. They just want to be heard. There's something beautiful. There's something Uh, refreshing. There is something relieving when you know that you have been heard. Prayer brings that, but prayer also brings direction. Verse 13 says, when I shut up the heaven so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send the pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Sometimes, as I was reading this, I thought, sometimes I just plain talk too much. Sometimes we talk too much. We just petition, petition, we we call it prayer. I'm praying, I'm just talking, I'm just praying. Perhaps we should consider the rule of listen twice and talk once. Some of us have heard of the rule of measure twice, cut once. Here there's a Greek philosopher, Epictetus, who says we have two ears and one mouth that we can listen twice as much as we talk. 
Sometimes when we pray, we need to talk one-third and listen two-thirds. Maybe that's what Solomon is learning from this whole thing, that he says, I've heard your prayer. Be quiet. Listen for the directions. Look at the directions. It says that if we ask for directions, the least we should do is listen for directions. If you ask for help, at least listen for help. But if you're like me, right, that's a hard thing, right? I can ask and ask again. Well, it's the next morning, ask again. It's the next ask again, right? Perhaps I need to wait and listen. Look how the Lord answers. He gives directions. When I shut up the heavens, if there is a season of no rain in your life, if I command the locusts to devour land, if our land is devoured, if my possessions are swallowed up, if my people get sick, if pestilence comes... It seems to suggest that God is directing his people regardless of situation or circumstance. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves, all those things are a humbling experience, right? We are not in control of that stuff. If we humble ourselves, pray. We can humble. We can pray. We can seek our face and turn from our wicked ways. The results are left up to God. The verse is not directed to those who do not know God. The passage is directed to those who are called by his name. My peeps, my people. Spiritual awakening and healing must begin in the house of God. A.G. writes, and all of us who are called to be representatives of Christ in our world, my people. God instructs us that we are his people, called by his name. It is God who dwells in us. We don't call ourselves. God calls us through Jesus Christ. When we are called, we are God's people. And we experience God's presence, fire and glory. We experience the privilege of praise, sacrifice and thanksgiving. And we get the privilege to continue in prayer, to hear God give his directions. Your bulletin entrance gives you a little map guideline for uh, this week. I want you to join with us this week as we pray and hear God's voice. Reminds me of this dedication. That's what, that's what Solomon was. He was dedicating. He was consecrating. He was committing the temple for the purposes of God. This year, 2018, we want to consecrate. We want to commit this church, you as an individual, me, myself as a servant, to the purposes of the Lord. If my people are called by my name, humble myself, turn from my wickedness, pray. I can do all those things. That's all. That's the consecration. I will do this and leave the results up to God. But it says, then I will hear from heaven, and then I will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God, today 